Well, good morning. I encourage you to open your Bible with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, and we'll be there in a few moments as we continue this series. We started the first Sunday in January, a new year, a new me, wanting God to do a new thing in our lives this coming year. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, over and over, research illustrates the role of prayer in people's lives, even people who don't go to uh, go to church. The Pew Research Center, which is one of the most respected groups that does research in the area of religion, recently released an annual survey they, they take of uh, how many Americans pray and how often they pray. So this is Americans of all, of all stripes. And according to this survey, now, you know, people sometimes make themselves look better than, than is true when they self-report, but nonetheless, this is what the data says is that 55% of Americans say they pray daily. 16% of Americans say they pray weekly. Now, doesn't dive into what kind of prayer. Sometimes it may just be a simple prayer, you know, when we, when we say grace. In fact, for a lot of people who go to church, the only time you pray, perhaps, is when you eat, Right? Uh, 16% pray weekly, 6% say they pray monthly, and 23% say they seldom pray or never pray. It's just interesting to me that the majority of Americans say they do pray at least weekly or monthly, and, and so prayer is a, something that they feel is important. Another interesting thing is that 20%, listen to this, 20% of people who are non-religious say they pray. And every time I see that, I wonder why. Who you pray? I mean, I don't get it. Maybe it's a form of just calming themselves. I don't know. But it's and, and this will not surprise you probably. Women on average pray more than men. A higher percentage of women pray than, than a higher percentage of, of men. Just like there's a higher percentage of women who faithfully attend church than there is of men in the population at large. And so I, I, I share all that to, just to illustrate the fact that, that in America, for the majority of people, prayer is something that people think is important. And people who aren't very religious will, will utter a prayer occasionally, or they'll thank God for something that happens, though they never worship God and don't really uh, serve God. There's just this sense that we need to pray, and for some, there's a desire to pray. It just feels like it's a natural part of life, whether they've been trained to pray or not. And so here's a question I want to ask you, okay? Now, the only person that you need to answer this to is you and God. How often do you pray? Lay aside grace, meals. How often do you pray? Do you know that uh, Amazon keeps track of what people highlight when they mark sentences in e-books. Did you know that? Recently they released uh, uh, a list of the most highlighted sentences in some popular best-selling uh, books, the Hunger Games, the Harry Potter series, and others. And they, they released this list of the, of the sentences that people highlighted the most. They also released the Bible verses that people highlighted the most. Do you know what Bible passage was highlighted the most uh, via ebooks, you know, on Amazon? What do you think? John 
Nah. Psalm 23, nah. You know what it was? The verse I read a moment ago before our prayer time. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Look at that. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in everything but prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God in the peace of God. Why? Because people are afraid. People have burdens. People are concerned. People know that that. They need to pray. Most people believe there's a higher, higher power or being if they, even if they have no clue who he is. And so because life is not always easy, people turn to some form of spiritual prayer. And they, they turn to Scripture, and, and that's the verse they highlight more than any other. Now, here's the, here's the catch. Most people struggle to understand what prayer really is. And I think in the church it's not unusual for us to struggle to not understand what prayer really is. Often we treat it like an emergency 911 call, right? Whether we need help with something, we need guidance, we need God to fix something. And so it's like picking up the phone, dialing 911 in an emergency. That's how many times those of us who even go to church, if we're not careful, that's how we treat prayer. And, and, and prayer is so much more than that. I don't know if you know this, but uh, astronauts in outer space now, when they're on the space station, they can they can they can make phone calls <laughs> to Earth. Now it's not as quite as easy as picking up the phone here and doing it, but there's this uh, Dutch astronaut you see his, his photograph there who spent two two uh, missions on the space station over 200 days, and during one of those missions. He was attempting, you know, it's the International Space Station, so astronauts from all these different countries, you go up there and spend time there. And he was trying to contact NASA's uh, Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas. And I, I don't know what the phone looks like, but apparently it's kind of like in our offices or something, you have to dial 9 to get an outside line, <laughs> I guess, versus calling someone in another part of the space station. And uh, I didn't know that until I read this. And then uh, they go zero nine one one, and then some other stuff. And somehow he got confused and didn't put the zero, and he did nine one one, and he got he got the nine nine one emergency service in Houston, Texas. Now, can you imagine how freaked out everybody got? Over at the space center, there was this there was this. Uh, this disaster, they, they were trying to, they thought somebody had gotten in there and, and messed up the equipment. They didn't know what was going on. I just thought that was funny. But I think that's a picture of how the average person treats prayer. There's an emergency. 911, 911. God, God fix, God help, God I need. 911. And, uh, that, 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 but while God wants us to come to him when we have problems and we have needs, if that's all prayer is, man, you don't get it. You're missing out. And to become everything God has saved you to be, prayer in your life needs to be more than a 911 call. At, at its heart, at, at its essence, if you will, prayer is about being with God so we can hear from God obey God, and become more like Him. It's, it's, it's a relationship. 
in which he shapes us and rubs off on us. It's a conversation. It's not a monologue, us just telling God everything we want or everything we need. It's about hanging out with God. You know, re research tells us that the way friends become closer is by spending time together. There's simply no substitute for that. There's no substitute for your spiritual development, for your spiritual growth and, and, and transformation and becoming more Christ-like. There's no substitute for spending time with Him in His Word and in prayer. Is essential to our growth. And in this sermon series, A New Year, New Me, that's what we are focused on uh, this month, and, and we'll wrap this, this series up next uh, Sunday morning. And the first two Sundays, we said that, it, that if we're going to become a new us in the new year, it, you know, grow and become more like Christ and all that he has saved us to be, to become a new me, then that begins by us owning, knowing and owning who we are, that we are followers of Christ and, and, and that shapes us, that defines us. And then the second sermon, that if we're going to become a new us and grow in this next year, not only do we have to, we have to, you know, own who we are, we have to be grounded in Scripture, spend time with God in His Word so we can hear Him speak to our hearts, not just have a, an academic exercise and understand this interesting fact and that interest. I always get amazed at people who love understanding interesting things about the Bible. The Word of God is intended to change us. to speak to us so that we can become more Christ-like. And, and, and if all we have is head knowledge, it's, it's, there's very little value in that. The Pharisees had a lot of head knowledge, but it didn't change them. We have to be grounded in Scripture. Today I want to talk about the importance of spending time with God, not just in Scripture, but in, in prayer. So Mark chapter 1 um, I want us to look at a life in the day of Jesus. We're going to come back to this same day next Sunday and look at the very end of it. But uh, in Mark chapter 1, we won't read all of this. We'll read in a few verses in a moment. But starting in verse 21, Jesus makes his way back to Capernaum, a city that up in Galilee on the, on the shore of the sea that became his, his home base for his ministry. And on the Sabbath, he goes into the synagogue and begins, begins to teach. And verse 22 tells us that the, the congregation was, was amazed. They were startled at Jesus' teaching because he taught with an authority that was different than anyone else they, they, they had heard. Verse 23 says, There was a man in the synagogue who was possessed by a demon, an unclean spirit, and he, he cried out, and uh, he and Jesus have a conversation, and the Bible says in verse 25 that Jesus rebuked the demon, cast the demon out. And in verse 26, the demon throws the man into convulsions, and, and Luke's gospel says he threw him down on the floor, if you will, and he's, convul he's in convulsions on the floor, and, and he cries out with a loud voice, and the demon comes out of the man without hurting him. Verse 27, man, everybody was really amazed once that happened. They started debating, arguing, talking among themselves. Who is this guy? 
This, this teaching, this authority, this is new. Who is this guy? He even commands the demons, then they obey him. And in verse 28, kind of a summary statement, says after that incident, that Sabbath morning, uh, news spread. Well, you can, you can imagine that, can't you? Did you hear, did you hear, did you hear, did you hear, did you hear? And word just spread like, you know, like wildfire. Well, Sabbath is o- the, the Sabbath worship service is over. They leave the synagogue. Church is over. You're going to go to lunch somewhere, right, today? Well, the service is over. In verse 29, we'll, we'll read starting in verse 29. Immediately after, the, after they came out of the synagogue, they came to the, to the house of Simon. Who's, who, who's Simon? It's Peter. Simon Peter. And Andrew, Andrew's his brother, and James and John are with him. So four of the disciples are with Jesus. And um, verse 30, Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. So what happens is synagogue is over, and for lunch, if you will, they go to Peter, Peter's house, Peter and Simon's house. And his mother-in-law is, is there probably living with them, and she's sick, and one of the gospels says she was in bed. And in verse 31, Jesus came to her and raised her up. Uh, Matthew says he touched her hand. Luke, uh, Mark says, and taking her by the hand, the fever left her. Uh, one of the other gospels says he rebuked the fever, and the fever leaves her, and, and, and she, she, she gets up, and she waits on them. And so they spend that afternoon at the house. Now look at verse 32. Evening came after the sun had set, and they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. Now, why did they wait till the sun went down rather than bring them to Jesus that afternoon? Because in their culture, the Pharisees would rake you over the coals if you did any kind of work on the Sabbath, and even carrying somebody who was sick to the doctor on the Sabbath was considered work, and you don't do it. They often would get mad at Jesus because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. Anytime you care about your rules more than you do the need of some person, you're wrong. But that's how they were operating. And so the Sabbath ends because at sunset on that Saturday, the Sabbath is over, and they start carrying all these people who are sick and people who are demon-possessed, and they bring them to Jesus there at Peter's house. Um, verse 33, in a summary statement, he says it's like the whole city had gathered at the door. In other words, have you, have you ever seen, made a statement like, man, everybody was there. In other words, it's this huge crowd. And he healed, verse 34, he healed many who were sick, who were ill with various disease. He cast out a lot of demons. And so the day's over. Now let me ask you. That morning, Jesus is in the synagogue. He teaches, he preaches, he heals people. He goes to Peter's home, heals mother-in-law, and here it is in the evening. Normally the time when you, you you get home and you eat a light supper, you turn on the TV and you relax till it's time to go to bed. Anybody ever done that? But he didn't get to eat a light dinner, turn on the TV and relax till bedtime. There's this massive crowd, massive crowd, and he spends all this time teaching them and healing them and ministering to them until late into the evening. Now let me ask you, what do you think Jesus physically and emotionally felt at the end of that day? Somebody said exhausted. Yeah. 
exerted himself. If you think teaching, preaching, healing, serving doesn't exhaust you, you've never done it. There's, there's energy in it. There's joy in it. But after it's done, there's also fatigue. And so late that evening, Jesus is done. He's tired. Now, he didn't have a, a job the next day. He had to show up for at 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock, 6 o'clock. He was in a situation that if he wanted to, he said, you know, man, I had a really long day yesterday. I think I'm going to rest this morning. I'm going to sleep in. Makes sense, doesn't it? Huh? I'm going to sleep in. I'm going to, I'm going to catch up. I'm going to rest. But I want you to notice in verse 35 what Jesus actually did. It says, in the early morning, while it was still dark, In the, uh, the Greek, it's, it's, it's that time of day uh, between 3 and 6 a.m. because they, they did their time um, in blocks. So it's really early. Don't know exactly, but it's still dark, not in daylight, before 6 a.m. Jesus got up. By the way, you know you're not going to pray in the morning until you get up. He left the house went away to a secluded, a lonely, desolate, secluded place and was praying there. He was praying there. Now, why do you think Jesus got up early, left the house, and everybody's still in bed, and then went out to a secluded place? Why do you think he did that? When Jacqueline and Evan spent last night with us, and that means our two grandkids, okay? Little ones. So they wake up. So if I was going to have some quiet time this morning, you get the picture? So I got up at 4.30 this morning. And that gave me about two hours and 15 minutes before I heard those feet. Because I like to have about two hours every Sunday morning before I jump in the shower and get ready to come to church. Y'all understand that, don't you? Because the struggle for some of you when it comes to prayer and Bible reading is you've got those little feet. Or if you don't today, you did it one time, right? And it can become a challenge. Well, if you really want to understand Jesus' challenge and why he got up early and left the house, went out to that quiet, secluded place, look at verse 36. Simon, Peter, and his companions searched for him. They found him. And they said to him at the end of verse 37, everyone is looking for you. L Luke tells us even the crowds had showed that, that showed up early that morning were looking for Jesus. You know why he hid? He had to if he was going to have any alone time with the Father. 
He didn't have kids and grandkids knocking on his door, but he had the disciples, and sometimes they were worse than kids. He had the crowds. He, he had everybody saying, fix me, fix me, fix me, fix me, do for me, do for me, do for me. Can anybody relate to that? Let me give you some statements that, that I hope will help you understand why having quiet time with God you know, through Bible reading and prayer matters, okay? Let me just give you four or five statements and help you, help you wrap your mind around why this, this is so important, this practice is so important. One uh, is, is that activity, doing things, drains us while time with God restores us. Now, I, I've been involved in some really you know, wonderful, great experiences serving God and seeing God move and it's exhilarating and it's energizing. But folks, every time you put forth that effort, that energy, even in spiritual activity, and you, you, you're on a mountaintop, on the other side of it, there's that shh coming down physically and emotional. Drains. Work. Working 60 hours a week. Exhausting, Right? Not just physically, but emotionally. And there's an impact spiritually. Activity drains us. And listen, there are times we need physical sleep and physical rest to restore us. But for a follower of Jesus Christ, that does not take the place of spending time alone with God to get new spiritual energy. Number two, physical and emotional exhaustion depletes us spiritually. So you don't have to be doing spiritual things to, to end up with an empty tank spiritually. You just stay so busy in life, you do so much in life, and it sucks everything out of you, and the next thing you know, your spiritual tank is empty because, because you're emptying yourself spiritually even when you are doing things physically. Do you get that? Why? Because we're, we're a holistic being. God's the one who created this mind, soul, body, all of that, right? You, you can't segment who you are into these different pieces, these different parts, and say that they're not connected. We're, we're one being. We're, we're body, soul, mind, all of that. All together, we're one being, and one affects the other. We, we've all seen people who you know, face sickness or tragedy in life and, and it seems to destroy them spiritually. There's a connection. But we've also seen people who were spiritually strong and they, they kept feeding themselves spiritual food and therefore they were able to deal with hardship differently because they never allowed themselves to become totally spiritually depleted. Are you getting this? Does this you, you with this? Let me give you another statement, another reason. Before you can care for others, you have, to, you have to take care of yourself. Now, let me put a little qualifier. I'm not speaking in the selfish way that some people use that, oh, it's all about me, and I may finally get around. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not going there. But I'm saying, if you're dead, you can't help anybody else. When you fly commercially, now that flight attendant stands up front and goes through that, you know, all those safety steps that we all ignore if you fly a lot. Am I telling you the truth, Mr. Pilot? Yeah. 
And if we lose, we lose oxygen, we lose air, all of that, and that mass falls down. And they all tell you, if you have children or, you know, someone with you, what do you do first? Put your mask on first. Why? Because if you pass out, you can't help your kids. If you are spiritually depleted, how can you help anyone else spiritually? So you have to care for yourself if you're going to be effective in caring for others. Here's another statement. I can't give others what they need spiritually unless I have it already in me to give it to them. And then here's maybe the most important one. The busier I am, uh uh-oh, the more I need time with God. Because it's the common refrain, I'm too busy, I don't have time. No no time in my I can't, I'm too busy. The busier I am, brothers and sisters, the more I need to do what Jesus did. If I don't want to end up on the spiritual ash heap, if I don't want to end up spiritually weak and ineffective and burned out and indifferent. One of our Baptist seminary professors years ago spent two years interviewing 246 ministers who had been lost to the ministry because they'd fallen into sin. They'd had an affair. So he did interviews with them over a two-year period. And he identified four characteristics of these ministers who fell into sin, had an affair, and were lost to the ministry. Number one, and by the way, this applies not just to ministers but to any human being and what can happen to us. Number one, they, 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 there was no real personal accountability relationship in their life. They didn't answer to any, anybody else. You know, there are people who are not honest even with their spouse, let alone a man with another man or a woman with another woman who can speak into our lives. That was, that was one characteristic about them. They, didn't, they did not allow anybody to have that kind of accountability in their life. Number two. They had, they had ceased having any kind of real daily quiet time of prayer and Bible reading. Might read the Bible occasionally, might read it when they're preparing for a sermon, might pray something occasionally, but there was no consistent daily time with God. All the things I just said came into play because of that lack of daily time with God. Number three, of them became involved with a woman they spent a lot of time with, primarily through counseling, but not always. Now, how many times have you heard me say, you don't talk to someone of the opposite sex who's not your spouse about intimate personal details of your life? You don't do it. Because even secularists know that that psychological event called transference takes place. And when it does, you're setting yourself up for trouble. And number four, each and every one of them had been convinced they would never be the one to fall. They would never have an affair. 
Now, for the sake of this sermon, do you see that there's an illustration of what happens even to people who are preaching God's Word and are in ministry when they allow their personal walk with God, that time with God, that regular, consistent time with God to just not be there. And the bad stuff, bad decisions, all of that normally happens not when we stop spending time with God, but somewhere down the road after we stopped because all of a sudden we're so weak, we don't hear the voice of God, we don't have the motivation. That regular time with God... See, when, you, when you're having an authentic, genuine, regular time with God in His Word and prayer, if you start going over to sin, listen to me, listen to me, you start going over to sin, one of two things will happen. God's going to convict you and you will stop and get back right or you will stop having your quiet time because you don't want to be bothered by God anymore so you can play with your sin. One of those two will happen every time. So, new year, new me. I want to. I want to blossom this year spiritually. I want to grow this year spiritually. Well, time with God. 